Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's sermon was given by guest preacher, Reverend Doug Bradshaw. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 7 through 13, in the New Testament section of our Red Bibles, beginning on page 185. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Ephesians 4, verse 7. Each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. He gave gifts to his people. When it says he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the same one who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity to the measure of the full stature of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Happy birthday, church. Today's a day for celebration as it has been for over 2,000 years. I want to say to you, and I don't know if they, I think the projection's gone, you may find it helpful today to keep a Bible open to this text. I'll refer back to it many times, and you may want to uh, check my work as we go. This day was of most, one of the most remarkable days in all of human history. This day is the day we remember that God, who was present with us in physical form, Emmanuel, left us. But he didn't leave us alone because he sent the very Spirit of God to be with us, to be in us. We moved on this day from God present on the earth in a way that was local, tangible, but singular, to God present on the earth in a way that is limitless and intimate. We moved on this day from God with us from God's grace with us to God's grace given to us, overflowing, and God's grace through us to the world. We moved on this day from Christ localized to Christians sent and scattered. 
so that through us the presence of God can be anywhere and everywhere. Happy birthday, church. Today we celebrate the birth of the church, and today we celebrate that we are a people called, gathered, filled, and sent. So today's text from Ephesians 4 is deeply rooted in this transition from God present and local to God in us and sent. And so I want to take you to uh, verse 7, which is going to become foundational for understanding of what God is actually doing in us. And I think this is an interesting verse, and it causes some challenges with us. So I want to walk you through this verse just a little bit. And I want to start with uh, the word, the second word in the verse is each. It's just a simple word, but actually it's, it's an emphatic word. You see, Paul in, in chapter 4 here, he He's called us in, in the first verses to live a life worthy of our calling. He's invited us to a, a, a deeper faith and a more bright light in the world by living in a way that's consistent with the nature of God, living in a way that's consistent with what God is like and consistent with the things of the Spirit rather than em- embracing the things that are not, the things that divide us, the things that cause us strife, the things that are really about our own selfish hungers and so on. He's moved from that and saying, we are one church because there is one spirit, there is one baptism, there is one church and indeed one God. And now in verse 7, he says, but each. The emphasis here is each and every so that we don't miss the notion that we are all included. Each and every emphatically, so from gathered as one body to now being addressed individually. And the word but is designed to help us recognize and make that move, but it can also mislead us. Because it goes on to say, but each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift you might make the mistake of thinking that that could mean we were given different amounts of grace. Each and every person has, maybe you've got this much grace, but maybe you, you've got this much grace. When we sing, you sing. When we give, you give. Maybe you would make the mistake to think that because we've moved into the each and every individual, and now he's talking about Christ's distributed grace, that we have different amounts or different types of grace. But this is not so. I want to share something with you. Some of you here know my wife, and so I'm going to invite you not to share this with her. (laughs) I have learned in my 25 years of marriage and ministry that talking about my family is risky. But I decided I wanted to do it today because I like this story, because it tells about something that I want to bring down into our everyday lives. My wife is a beautiful, wonderful, godly woman. And she makes me a better man, and she's an amazing mother. You can share that part with her. Stop there. (laughs) What I would say now is that maybe among her many gifts, one is not baking, though 
The changes you may notice would betray something else, but I'll tell you a story. A couple weeks ago, actually a couple months ago, my wife decided to bake some muffins. She's been trying to get everything delicious out of our house for some time now and everything with gluten and everything with sugar and you know all these kind of things so thank god for that but she decided to make some kind of muffin that sounded absolutely awful on paper and it was uh oh and it kind of sounds nice as i describe it but it was oatmeal yogurt banana blueberry but it was missing the things like sugar and fat and all those things but she made these muffins and uh Myself and our children, we were uh, nervous. But as we always must, we tried the muffins. And you know, they were actually delicious. Literally one of the best muffins I've ever had in my life. Make these again. The problem is, she can't. You see, my wife is not a great baker because my wife is an unreliable measurer. If you know anything about baking, it's, a, it's more science than art. It requires precision. She lacks that. And so I came alongside and gently suggested that we try to identify something of a recipe that she used so that we could recreate this. She thought that was a great idea, and so we did. A few weeks later, she set out to make these muffins again, and with nervous anticipation... We waited, and I will tell you that now, several months and several batches later, we have yet to have those muffins again. (laughs) Same ingredients, same recipe, unreliable measuring. If you look at this text, it tells us that the grace that's been given to us has been measured by Christ. According to his gift, what kind of measure do you think Christ uses? Do you think he might be like my wife in this sense of being unreliable? I think not. I think this text is doing something really important, and I want us to understand it as we move deeper into what it is to be a people filled and gifted by the Holy Spirit. This text is drawing our attention away from those expressions of the Spirit that come from us and to what has been given to us that empower those expressions. And he is saying, you, church, have been filled according to the measure of Christ, which I understand to be what I like to call superabundant, overflowing, more than you could ever need or use up. And he says, each and every, each and every one of you who consider yourself a follower of Jesus, has been given this gift of grace in a super abundant way, in a way that overflows from you. There is no more to be had. Jesus has given you everything that he has to give because he's used his very own measure to do so. And so we don't sit here as a gathered body, each of us with different qualities or quantities of grace. And so Paul, in this text, he's saying these things so we don't get confused and so that we remember that we have all that we need. We have all that we need. There are two things I want to draw your attention to about this text and then we're going to move forward. One, I think he's doing this partly also 
to help us understand that living life in the Spirit, if you go up a few verses, remember he says, uh, to live a life worthy of our calling. And if you go down into the next part of this text, he spends the rest of this letter giving us instructions and guidance on how to live together in community, whether it's family or the church. And I think here he finds it important in this transitional moment to remind us that we are not building a tower to heaven. We are not working to finally one day maybe achieve our salvation. We have indeed been given everything we need in order to be what we are. Called, filled, gifted, and sent. So let us not make the mistake that we are striving for something more because we have been given all that is required. So the grace that's been given to each of us is abundant, it is complete, and you have all you need to live into your calling. So I want to move us to verse 8, and this reality that we have all that we need to live into our calling, to live into this life filled with the Spirit of God, to live into a life of expressed giftedness. Verse 8 says, Therefore it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. Sometimes we may feel like we are trapped. Some of us who've walked in this life have walked through difficult things that we weren't sure we could get through. And we're watching people we love walk through things that we are not sure they can get through. But Jesus promises us here that the reality that we are living in The reality that we are growing in is a reality in which Jesus himself has taken captivity itself captive. We are no longer captive to those things that we think hold us in bondage. We have everything that we need to lean toward that life, that life that is worthy of our calling, that life full of the Holy Spirit. And so the truth is for us, wherever you are in this moment, Whatever causes you great concern, whatever wounds you face, whatever inability you have at this moment to heal or to move on, we must remember this promise of God and we must remind ourselves as the people of God that it is never too late. It is never too late. And so verse 8 reminds us that we are no longer captive And that God has gifted his people. I want to tell you a brief story about a woman in the program that I work with. As some of you may have read the bio, I've been in ministry here in Chicago for a number of years. Spent many years here at First Pres on the staff. And then I've been uh, at a church in Naperville for like 13 years. But for the last four, I've been called out into specialized ministry at a place called Facing Forward to End Homelessness. In that organization, we help chronically homeless people, mostly women with children. And we provide them with housing and the support services that they need to reclaim and rebuild confident independence and self-sufficiency in their lives is what we do. We're providing that for about 700 people at this moment. But I want to tell you a story about a woman there who spent 30 years on the streets in Chicago and spent 30 years trapped by heroin. It's a miracle that she's alive. The average lifespan of somebody on the streets of Chicago is 56 years. They don't live much past 56 years in that rough 
condition. When she came to our program, she was 56 years old. And she had been incarcerated 56 separate times. You would not have seen this woman on the street unless you were quite mature in your faith and said, this is a woman with hope. This is a woman with a future. It's not too late for her. She gets clean and sober and she comes into our program after 30 years. And she's been with us for six years. She's been completely sober the entire duration of her time with us. And during that time, she has finished a bachelor's degree and is currently working on finishing her master's degree in social work. And she will leave our program when she is able to do so stable in a career of social work. Praise God. Thank you. And so, church, in verse 8, we are reminded that it is never too late to lean toward the life that we have been called to as an individual, because each and every one of us is filled, overflowing with God's grace. And together as a church, never too late. So this sermon is titled, The Gifts of God for the People of God. So let's talk about those gifts. And let me build a case for something. I'm going to kind of move quickly through this as I build my case so I can sort of make a point. But each of these points is kind of important in our understanding of what it means to uh, be a person gifted by the Holy Spirit. First, charis. Charis is a Greek word in the New Testament for grace. The typical Greek word used to describe the gifts of the Spirit, charisma, and in plural charismata. And it means concrete, tangible expressions of grace. And so I want you going forward today to understand that these gifts of God for the people of God are meant to be from each of you to one another, to the world as concrete, tangible expressions of God's grace. Why? Because you've been filled with grace. This is what they are. Whatever type of gift you have and use, it is a grace to this community. And it is a grace and a light to our world. I want to highlight this list. <clears throat> this list is incomplete, and every list in the Bible is incomplete. They are different, and that teaches us something. That teaches us that we have no clear, definitive number of what are these gifts, and so I have this one and I have that one, which means I believe that any and every tangible expression of grace is a gift from the Holy Spirit to you, through you, to the world that you're in. We also know that from 1 Corinthians 12, 7, that every follower of Jesus is gifted. Again, it's an each and every kind of situation, and we know that from both Corinthians and Ephesians today, that these gifts are the common good. They're not just for you. These gifts are meant to be God's grace through you for the building up of this body here so that this body might be a greater light in the world. And the last point I want to make as I, as I make this case 1 Corinthians 12, we're told to eagerly desire gifts that are more useful for building up the body of Christ. We might be inclined to think that different gifts have increasing value. I would suggest that what's useful for building up the body of Christ is different and unique in each and every circumstance and situation. And you have the ability to desire different gifts. You might notice that this church is in need of something. 
And so you might pray, God, call up and rise up some people in this church with these kinds of gifts. You might also pray, God, make me that person. I'd like to be gifted in that way. I'd like to be called out in that way and begin to express gifts that maybe you weren't sure you had. So what does this tell us? It tells me that I think we are in need of a fundamental reorientation from this notion of what is my gift, as if there were only one, as if it was a finite list, as if it were for me, as if we had no say in what gifts we might have and use. A fundamental shift from what is my gift to how can I be a gift today here in this place, in this church? How can I be a gift to my family of faith so we can be a stronger light here in our community here in Evanston? And so I want to say just a couple brief things about how we grow as gifted people. And then I'll wrap this up. And it's easy to dichotomize, as you read Paul, and he, he, he dichotomizes, or he seems to, the life in the flesh versus the life in the spirit. But the reality is, we live somewhere in the middle. A kind of maturity continuum. And the reality is, for all of us, that we ought to embrace what I would call progress over perfection. I want to ask a question. How do I know in what way or ways am I gifted? I'll say a friend of mine used to say to me, you know, Doug, uh, we're all gifted, but we're still looking for yours. And we still look. Uh, There are a lot of inventories that you can take, and they're helpful, but they're also limited because there is no limit on the number or the types of tangible expressions of grace that could pour out from a church. What might be as and more interesting is if you would ask yourself and maybe ask the people around you, where do you see, where do you experience concrete grace from me? You might also, again, pay attention to your spiritual desires more than your physical ones and try building your church in new ways. Try experimenting with other gifts. And finally, I would say as we think about how we build ourselves as a gifted people to be in community surrounded by the rest of the gifted people because they can build you up as you seek and they can help you identify where they see that grace coming from you, where their lives are different, better, changed because of you. And so my final word is this and bringing us back to our text today. We're a people of purpose and I've said it many times through this message And I don't want us to lose focus and begin again thinking of ourselves, thinking of our appetites, thinking of our status and our stature, but to think of our ability to express grace for the purpose of building up the church. But why is it important that we build up the church? Verse 13 makes it very clear for us. Until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Until the light has reached every heart on this planet. This is why we build the church. 
This is why we experiment and explore together what our gifts and talents are, because we are filled with grace poured out on one another so that we can be a greater light. Friends, the gifts of God, for the people of God, for the world God loves. Amen.